Ken made it this morning. A lot of people, if you haven't found a seat, there is a front row. I don't sit like Rich does. So you guys can feel free to come up here if you want. Um, I, I guess I get to be the first person to use this new new podium. It's kind of nice. It's actually the right height. So I don't have to bend down and I don't have to worry about breaking the stand trying to make it taller. So thank you, Luke, for getting this done for us. Appreciate it a lot. So thank you. Well, I've really enjoyed the last couple months. If you've joined us over the last while here, we've, we went through the Gospel of Mark. It was a lot of fun. It was really fun to see just God's character a little more and learn a little more about Jesus as a servant, looking at him in, in respect to him as a servant. But this morning, we're going to jump into a new book. We're going to jump in for the next five weeks into the book of James. So we're going to go through that together. This morning, I'm going to share a little bit of background. I'm going to give you an idea um, where, where the book came from, who wrote it, when it was written, different things like that. And then we're going to take a closer look at that first chapter. We're going to look at a couple areas that I think all of us can grow in for sure. None of us can say I think we're there when it comes to any of these areas. James is one of my favorite books. I imagine a lot of you like it as well. James pulls no punches. He's very clear. He's direct. He's to the point. And he, he calls us to be believers in what we're, what we're to be like as believers. But before we jump in to James 1, let's just pray and ask God to bless our time here this morning. Well, God, we do thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you've brought each one of us here. God, we thank you for the book of James. God, we thank you that you um, desired for us to go through it this morning as a family. God, we pray that you would help us like Jeremy prayed, that we would be excited to learn this morning. We would be excited to um, grow, that we'd be looking for something specific. God, that you put on each one of our hearts this morning that you want us to grow in today that you want us to grow in this week, that you want us to work on, that you want to sharpen us in our character. And God, help us this morning to listen to you. Help us to be quiet before you. God, to listen when you tug on our hearts. God, and you say, you need to grow here. God, help us to hear you. Help us to, to listen and to be clear on that. God, we just again pray, speak through me. God, it's not about me. It's about your word. God, speak through me this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so James is a very practical epistle, very practical, and he covers some very unpopular topics that we're going to find here over the next five weeks. He talks about our tongue and our speech and what that's to look like. He talks about the dangers of trying to please people, of trying to please the rich, and of being rich. And he also says that we need to show our faith, show that our faith is real by the ways that we live, by the way that we live it out. It's going to be exciting over the next several weeks, and I'm excited to go through it together with you guys, to really work through it and to look at it and to see how we can grow. See the things that we need to have a change of mindset on. Change of mindset that will help us grow in our character as well as our relationship with God. So we're first, we're going to jump in. We're going to look at the authorship. That's important when you're looking at a book. Who wrote James? Well, you might say James wrote James. You got it. All right. <laughs> One step down. Um, but there's a bunch of James in the New Testament. So which James wrote it? Uh, the name James is actually translated in Greek to Iacobos, which was taken from the Hebrew Yaakov, which is Jacob. You probably didn't know that. Jacob was a very popular name at the time that this book was written, the time of the New Testament. There were a lot of different James around. So let's look at the four. There's four of them. There's four James that we see throughout the New Testament. Let's look at them, see if we can figure out which one of those four wrote this part. First, we'll start with James the Apostle. So there's the Apostle James. This James was the son of Zebedee and the brother of John. We see this in Matthew 4.21. There's a verse here. It says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers.
brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. You guys remember this story? Jesus comes up to him, calls him to follow him. Um, if the apostle James, though, had been the author of this book, for those of you um, a little more history on the book of James, James was one of these books that was kind of tossed around a bunch. Um, should it be in the Bible? Should it not be in the Bible? What does it say? Does it contradict what Paul says about faith and it's not by works, or does it not? And so, because of that fact that it was tossed around, it probably wasn't this James. It probably wasn't James the Apostle that, that was writing it. And, and also, another very big thing that keeps this James from being the one who wrote it is the Apostle James was martyred in A.D. 44. So he was killed in A.D. 44, which was most likely before this book was even written. So it makes it kind of hard for this James. James the Apostle will be the one who wrote the book of James. If he was dead, kind of hard to write when you're dead. <laughs> Number two, another James. James, the son of Alphaeus. You see this in Matthew 10.3. You get his name. He's in a list here, and it says, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. This James is pretty much unknown. He only comes up when it's in the list of apostles, like this one here, a list of the apostles that were thrown out there. The fact that the author of this book, of James, just refers to himself as James, and he doesn't clarify and have to say, James, I'm this person, this is who I am, and give a lineage or anything, means that this James is probably more well-known in the Bible, that he didn't have to write his name out. And so because James, son of Alphaeus, wasn't very well-known, most likely it was not him that wrote this book either. The third James is James, the father of Judas. In Luke 6.16, it says Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So this James was the father of Judas, and he wasn't the father of Judas Iscariot, but the father of Judas, as you see from that verse there. He was even more obscure, more. Nobody really knew a whole lot about him, and you don't see his name come up anywhere else. So again, because he's not very well known, this is probably not the same James that wrote this letter. So that leaves us with the fourth James that we see. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Alright, and so we can see a couple places his name comes up here, and, and a lot more, but in Matthew 13:55 it says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And then in Galatians 1:19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. This James is most likely the author of the book of James. He was well-known because he was Jesus' brother. You kind of get to be well-known when you're Jesus' brother. Um, but yet he was humble because he didn't... You notice when, when we read here in a minute, he doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't put that in there. He was humble and he doesn't mention that. This James is the same James that presided over the Jerusalem Council. If you look in Acts 8, you see some decisions that the Jerusalem Council made that Paul went to. This James was the one who presided over the Jerusalem Council at the time. And he stayed in Jerusalem until his death. He was there until his death. He was very well known, Jewish Christian, very well known. And, and he was known for being very strict in his lifestyle, which you can see in his writing here. As we look through it over the next five weeks, you'll see he's pretty strict and he's pretty strong in what he says to do. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian at the time, said that James had a very good reputation of devotion to the law among Jews. And yet, he was martyred. He was martyred for witnessing for his Messiah when it was forbidden to do so. So it's interesting to see that he was very strict. Even an outside historian thought he was very strict in following what he believed, but he wasn't a Jew. He believed in the Messiah and he gave his life for it. So the date, another important thing when you're looking at when someone's written. What's the date of this? Again, we can look at Josephus, some of his writings. They say that James was killed in A.D. 62. So this letter had to have been obviously written before then. Again, can't write a letter when you're dead. 
since the letter also says nothing about any of the decisions while he was presiding over um, the Jerusalem council. So when he was deciding there, you'd think if it was written after that, he probably would have said some things about some of the decisions he made there, or that were made there. Um, but it, it probably wasn't after that. And that happened in A.D. 48 or 49, is when the Jerusalem council was making those decisions. So it was most likely before then as well. So the time that most people come together and decide, most scholars believe it was written, was sometime between A.D. 45 and 48. So not very long after Jesus was crucified. This letter was written pretty, pretty quick after that. A little background. Again, because it was pretty quick after that, James was most likely the first book of the New Testament that was written. Most likely. Again, not, we don't know perfect, perfectly. But most likely it was the first book that was written. And it relies heavily on Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. You can make a lot of, if you read the two at the same time, you can see a lot of things where they're, where they're the same. And so he used those Jesus' teachings there to um, can encourage the people and challenge the people in the way they were living. The book also has a lot of similarities if you're reading it with Proverbs. It's oftentimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's very, it's very strong. Um, James style is very rugged. It's vivid. It's graphic. And the word wisdom, like in Proverbs, shows up a lot through the book of James. The word brethren is also found quite a bit. And that just is, a, is kind of reminding us that if he's talking about brethren, he's talking about believers. He was talking about his fellow believers, his fellow brothers. And so James is writing to believers here. Sometimes it may seem like he's not along the line, but he's, he's really speaking to believers throughout this whole book. And one of the other cool things about James is it's one of the most authoritarian books in the New Testament. There's only 108 verses, and yet James gives 54 commands throughout the 108 verses. Very strong. Very authoritative in what he's saying. Alright, so now we've got a little bit of background. We're going to jump in and we're going to read it in three different sections. And we'll start out with the, the salutation, the first part there. So if you have your Bible, a Bible, if you need one, raise your hand. Hopefully someone around can grab you one. There are a few around on chairs and back, seat back pockets in front of you if you need one. But we're going to be on page 1196. And we're going to read this chapter together. But we're going to start off with one section that's one verse long. <laughs> we're not going to be here until tomorrow. It's okay. We're going to speed up after this one. But we're going to do one section on one verse here. So, James 1.1, it says this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So something very cool that we can see here, and, and a little more, I'm going to give you a little more background on James. The very first chapter of James in the very first verse. If you remember correctly, Jesus' own brothers didn't even believe he was who he said he was. If you look at John 7.5, it says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. It says that. It said that at the time that verse was written, that even his own brothers didn't believe in him. They didn't believe who he was. Yet between the time that John 7.5 was there and that time happened, until James penned this book, something amazing happened. Something big took place in James' life. The skeptic, he was no longer a skeptic. He became a bondservant. It says he was a, a, a servant, a bondservant, a slave, if you look at the NASB translation. He, he totally transformed. He was no longer, oh, who is this guy? I don't even know who he is. To, this is the Son of God, and I believe it. And he changed that. Another interesting thing you can see is that James puts God and Jesus Christ on the same level here. He gets it. He understands that God and, and Jesus are the same, one and the same, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He understands that, and you see it by the way that he put it there, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a servant of both. And Jesus wasn't under God. God wasn't above Jesus. They were equal. And you see that here in this first verse. We 
also can see that, that in that next little part there that he was talking to the Jews that had been scattered, had been dispersed. It was known in the time as the Great Dispersion. There were several of them. There was one early on, back in the day, when they were taken away to Babylon and they were dispersed everywhere. There were others. When they were persecuted, that you see in Acts, they were persecuted and they were scattered. He's talking to those Jews. And he was talking to the ones who had been converted to Christ, who had become new believers. And we'll see that in verse 18 as we get down there. Alright, so let's read the next section here. We're going to read verses 2 through 17, and we're going to look at trials and temptations. The section called Trials and Temptations. It says, consider this, in verse 2 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Alright, so you see in this section here, James makes a really clear distinction between two things, between holy trials and unholy temptations. In verses 2 through 12, we, we see where he's sharing there about the, the holy trials that are going on. And then 13 through 17, we see these temptations or these unholy temptations. Our lives are filled with both of them. We have both of these things in our lives all the time. And notice here right at the beginning that he doesn't say, James doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you face trials of many kinds. What does he say? He says whenever. He says whenever you face holy trials. Trials in the Christian life are inevitable. They're going to happen. If they're not happening, something's wrong. <laughs> you can look and go, man, what am I doing? Am I not living the Christian life? I'm not having any trials. Things are 100% okay all the time. I don't know if that's ever happened to anyone. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's never had that go on. But they're inevitable. Trials are inevitable. They will come and we'll never be able to get away from them. Not while we're here on earth. The question really becomes, how are we going to respond to them? How are you going to respond to trials in your life? I think there's five different attitudes that we can take towards trials. These five attitudes are this. You can, number one, you can rebel against them. You can go, man, I hate this trial. I don't like this. I've got to get out of this. And you work really hard to get away from it. You try and figure out, how can I make this go away? You do it in your selfish own way. How, how do I get out of this? I need, to, I need to be rid of this. I'm done. I'm tired of this. I don't like it. You can take a different attitude. You can, number two, you can lose heart and you can give up. You can lose heart and go, oh, this trial's terrible. I give up. I'm done. I, I'm never going to get out of it. It's no good. I'm not. This, this is terrible. Just, I want out. 
I want out. That's the thought you can take. The third thing you can do is you can grumble and complain. You can complain about it. You can go, oh, this trial, I hate it. I don't know what's going on. Why is this, why me? Why is it always me? I don't understand. This is terrible. It's making my life hard. It's challenging. I don't like it. And you grumble and complain to other people about it. You grumble and complain to God about it. Number four, you can indulge in self-pity. This is the why me. (laughs) The Eeyore mentality. (laughs) Why me? I don't know. Why me? Why is it me? Why not not my friend? He always seems to have things go great. Why me? Why is it me that always has these trials? It has this thing going on in my life. And the fifth way that you can deal with trials is to count it as joy and learn from them. This is the attitude we need to have. This is the attitude that James is calling us to. James really clearly says we need to have. What attitude do you take personally when things go wrong, when you have trials in your life, when things just don't seem to be going your way? Maybe, maybe it's a boss at work. Maybe your boss at work is just difficult to work with sometimes. It's challenging. Your manager, whoever it is. Have you thought about it as possibly a trial that God's put you in? A trial that God has, has given you to challenge you, to grow. To grow in the way you interact with the lost, if your boss is lost. The way that you interact to the people he's put in authority over you. Have you thought about that? Or do you grumble? Do you just grumble about it? Oh, my boss at work is terrible. Oh, I don't like my boss. Is that, your, is that what you do? Do you grumble about it? That shouldn't be the attitude. According to James here, he says very clearly, consider it pure joy. Count it as joy. So we should instead of grumbling about it, count it as joy. Look at it from another perspective. Go, what can I learn here? How can I grow? How can I show Christ-like character to my boss here? What can I do? How can I serve him better? How can I love him better? Consider it joy. Going to work smiling. I get to, I get to interact with my boss today who really doesn't like me sometimes. Can you take a different attitude about it? I think that's what God's calling us to. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to see it as a trial. He wants you to see it as a chance to sharpen your character, to grow in your character. I remember a boss I had back when I was in college and some of the summers we would do summer programs and we'd work jobs. And I, I worked at a golf course, not a hard job. I did have to be there at 5 a.m., which was early, but I got to mow and then play 18 holes of golf every day, so that was, that was good. Um, but I had a boss who, who was not very nice. He, he was very unclear when he gave instructions. I, I hadn't really worked on a golf course before, and there's all kinds of different things you need to know. And So he would just tell me, go mow this. And I'm like, there's a lot of grass out there. What do I mow? <laughs> How tall do I mow it? There's different heights that you mow grass in a golf course, all kinds of stuff. Which mower do you use? And I would ask questions, trying to just clearly communicate so that I was doing what he wanted me to do. And he'd be like, just go do it. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to go do it. And about half the time I would come back and I'd get chewed out because I did the wrong thing. Even though I was trying to clearly communicate and, and so it was frustrating. And my first thought was, I don't need this. I don't have to work here. I'm just doing this to make a little bit of money to pay my rent for time. I can work anywhere else. But then I remember, hey, you know what, maybe this is a chance for me to just be humble. For me to just apologize. For me to learn. What do I need to learn here? How can doing this job and having a boss like this help me in the future? And that's the mindset we need to take. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying every single trial you have, you're just going to be smiling all the time and happy. (laughs) There's some hard trials out there. But you need to work to that mindset. You need to really be focusing and go, okay, this thing is really hard, but what can I learn from it? What can I learn from it? It needs to be our attitude. 
We all have times like this. Maybe you're not even working. You're not in the world. The, the world's full of worldly men and women. Some of them might be your bosses. Some of them might be your supervisors. Some of them might be uh, a professor that you have in your classes at school. It's just is really not kind. It is really hard to get along with. It's really hard to please. We need to be looking for opportunities, though, to grow in each of those situations. Each situation is different. We need to be looking at it and stop having an attitude of dreading it. Oh, I've got to go to work today. Oh, I've got to go to that class that the professor is just a jerk. We have to change our attitude and go, man, how can, I, how can I learn from this? How can I grow? How can I love on these people that are hard to love on better? We need to consider it pure joy like James says. Another great point that he makes here is that we need to be patient. We need to persevere. Uh, in King James Version, verse 4 puts it like this. It says, but let patience have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. How many times when a trial comes up do we frantically run around trying to figure out the fastest way out? How can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? Quick, 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 quick. I don't want it to last till tomorrow. <laughs> we all do that. We all do that. We look for ways that we can fix the solution ourselves, that we can fix the problem with a solution. But again, from James, we see that that shouldn't be our reaction. What should, our be, what should be our reaction here in James? It says that we should seek God. It says we should seek God about it and ask Him for wisdom. Because it says He will give generously to those who ask for it. He promises that. But God does put a stipulation on that, and we see that a little further down there. What's the stipulation for, for giving us wisdom? He says that we must ask in faith, and we must do it without doubting. We have to ask in faith that He'll give it to us, and do it without doubting. He says that we must not be like one who is tossed and blown by the wind. If we are, James says we're double-minded. He says we're double-minded and that we're unstable. That's what he says, if we're, if we're like um, a wave tossed in the wind. I think it's also a lot like a roller coaster. Roller coasters are fun sometimes, and they're scary sometimes. <laughs> right? It's really fun when you're going up the first big thing up to the top, and you're like, this is going to be great, this is going to be great. And you're super excited, and you can't wait to get to the top. And then what happens when you get to the top? You're scared to death. <laughs> and you go zipping down, screaming and yelling, and you can't wait to get to the bottom, right? That's kind of the attitude you feel, because you're like, I just want out of this. I want to be back up for the fun part, where it's going back up. When it comes to you and your emotions, and your belief that God can do anything, where are you at? Are you on a roller coaster? Are you up and down? Are you all over the place? Are there days that you think God's amazing, and that everything around you is going great? And then there's other days where you're like, man... I just feel like I'm not having a good relationship with God. I'm struggling with my quiet times. Things are going wrong at work. What's going on here? Where are you at? We need to be on a constant upward trend. We need to always be moving upward. We're supposed to be more like Christ, and that means we're growing to be more like Him, who's very constant, very stable. We need to be on that upward climb. We can't be up and down all the time. We can't be blown and tossed around by the wind. James shares that here. We must be steadfast and have faith that if we ask God anything, He's going to come through. And it says that. He says He will give to us without finding fault. We have to believe that truth. We have to believe that what the words say here is true. He will. So let's make these holy trials a little practical. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You think about them. If you want, write them down. Take them with you this week. Think about them. How do you react when trials come into your life? A couple questions. Do you complain about them or do you take joy in them? If you complain about those trials, we all can look at them and, and think about things probably that are happening right now in our lives. Are we complaining about them? Or are we taking joy in them and looking for how we can grow in them? Do you live in the future, waiting for your circumstances to improve? Or do you live in the present, seeking to see God's hand in all that comes to you? Are you living in the present? Or are you always living out there in the future, can't wait until it's over? 
Can't wait until it's over. Can't wait until this trial passes. Do you seek sympathy and indulge in self-pity? Or do you look for ways to serve others around you? What's your attitude when you're in a trial? Is it all about you? It's all about me. It's all about me. Help me get rid of this. Or are you going, you know what? That's a minor thing. I need to be serving others. How can I serve others? How can I serve in this situation? All right, let's look at the other half, the temptations. So the big difference between trials and temptations is that trials are meant to bring out the best in us. They're meant to help us grow. Temptations are designed to bring out the worst in us. They're designed to bring out the things inside of us that are evil. One thing James wants to make really clear here is that God doesn't tempt us. It's not God who tempts us. God, doesn't, God does test us. He does try us. But He never tempts us to commit any kind of evil. He's not the one who tempts us. Instead, James makes it really clear that we are tempted by our own evil desires. We're tempted by what's inside of us. Sin comes from within us. From our old, fallen nature. From what was there before. We see in Matthew 15, 19, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So how do you escape those things? How do you escape those things that come from within you? Anybody know a verse? Comes in handy right here. That's a good one. Think of a little different one. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. Think about the admirable things, praiseworthy things. We need to change what we're thinking about. We need to change what's in our mind and change what's in our heart. If we don't, James makes it really clear what's going to happen. If you let those things run wild, he lets, he lets you know what's going to happen. Those evil desires, it says, will give birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, leads to death. Essentially, if you think about sinful acts long enough, you're going to do them. That's the reality of it. It's going to happen. If you think you can stand on the edge of that slippery slope and you can think evil thoughts all the time and that nothing is going to happen, that you're not ever going to slip and fall, you're wrong. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen, not if. It's a matter of when you're going to fall into that sin, not if you're going to fall into that sin. It's a dangerous place to be. We must do like it says in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and peace. That's the mindset we have to have. We have to flee from it. Flee from it. Get as far away from the edge of that slippery slope as you can be. Move away from it. James tells us not to be deceived into thinking that temptations come from God. People who fall into sin all the time, what do they do? They blame it on God. It's God's fault. It's God's fault that this happened to me. But James debunks that right here and says it's impossible because only good gifts can come from God. Only good gifts. God is the very source of good gifts. Anyone who thinks those temptations or sin comes from God is a blame shifter, is deceived. They're wrong. They don't come from God. And it's very clear in the Scripture right here. So let's test ourselves when it comes to temptations. Here's a couple more questions for you to chew on, to think about. Do you encourage evil thoughts and desires to linger in your mind? Or do you get rid of them quickly? Do you flee? Do you let them hang around in there and chew on them and think about them? Or do you flee from them? When you sin, do you shift blame to someone else besides yourself? Is it always someone else's fault? Is it never your own fault? Do you blame God when you're tempted by sin? Is that your default? Do you blame God when you're tempted? Man, God, if you just changed me in this, I wouldn't be tempted here. Do you blame God? 
Alright, let's jump back in here. We're going to jump in with verse 18. We'll read through the end. I have a few more thoughts for you and then we'll, we'll get you going. Verse 18, it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Verse 19, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So like I shared earlier, James 18 here is a proof that this is for believers. James shares here that God chose to bring us into a relationship with Him. It was His choice. It was His desire. It had nothing to do with us. Nothing at all to do with us. He also makes it clear that the Scriptures were involved. There needs to be the Scriptures. That's the way for us to figure out what salvation is. That's how we know. Is it comes from His Word. It comes from Him speaking to us. James then goes on to say, because we're God's first fruits, we should do a couple things. We should be quick to listen, or in practical, hurry up and listen, is how it can be translated, to what God has to say, and be slow to speak. Here's a couple different um, verses here, and a quote here. Pectus, this first one, is a Stoic philosopher, but he says this, he said, Nature has given to man one tongue, but two ears, that we may hear from others twice as much as we speak. Good thing to think about. You should hear twice as much as you speak, because you have two ears and one mouth. Makes sense. Very clear. So now to Proverbs here. Proverbs 13.3 He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 10.19 When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. James also says that we are to be slow to become angry here because it doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. Proverbs 16.32, another great verse, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, temple, temper, sorry, than one who takes a city. James goes on to say we need to rid ourselves of those evil things, of the evil that's in our, our desires, that's in us, and humbly accept God's word. The only way that the Bible will change us, the only way it's going to change you and I, is if we rid ourselves of our pride, of our arrogance, and we submissively, and we, we are submissive and we submit to God's Word and we're humble to what God's Word has to say to us. The minute we think we have it figured out, the minute we think that we understand a verse and we don't have anything else to learn about it, we get deceived. We become unresponsive to it. We become unreceptive to it. We quit listening. We also see that James tells us not only to listen to the Word, but to do it. Nike's logo, I guess I am wearing a Nike shirt, which I like. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Do the word. Just do it. How many times do you finish a quiet time and go on with your day and forget what you just read? Forget what it told you to do? I think we do it all the time. There's a lot of times I do it. I'm not perfect there. I can read and a couple hours later someone will ask me, what did you read today? 
Somewhere in the Old Testament? Ezekiel, maybe? (laughs) We need to have a habit of doing God's Word. How can we do it if we don't even know what we read? It's not possible. We can't do it. We need to have a habit. Something I try and do every day when I read is I write down one verse and I write down an application for me of that verse. Like today, I read in Ezekiel 11 that God changed hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And I thought, how can I be more loving and not have a stone-cold heart today? What can I do to love on my family better? And so I've tried to apply that today. I'm working on loving my wife more today, loving my kids more today, and showing them that I have a heart of flesh and I care about them. Do you take God's Word that way? Or do you just read it and go, oh, that's a good book. That's a good chapter. Or do you look at it with the eyes of, how can I apply this today? How can I do this? That's what James wants us to get. He wants us to do it. Not just read it, not just spout out some verse that we read, but to do it. That's what we need to do. No matter how you accomplish it, we need to be doing God's Word. We need to have a deep desire to hear God speaking to us. We need to have that desire. If you don't have that desire, again, it's just like another book. If you're not going into the mindset of, God, how can I grow here? What do you want me to grow in? What can I apply today? It's just a book. It does nothing. It does nothing. We're not going to grow from it. We need to have that strong willingness to listen to God when we read and to do what He's telling us to do. Let's not be men and women like James' example here that we look in the mirror. You probably laugh at that. You know what you look like. You look in a mirror, you walk away, you go, this is what I look like. I could probably draw a picture of myself. My picture would be a stick figure of myself since I'm a terrible artist. (laughs) But we know what we look like. Each one of us know exactly what we look like. So let's not do that with the Word. Let's not read it and walk away and forget what we read. Let's do it. Let's apply it. Let's be in the Word. In the last couple of verses, James makes it clear some things about religion and how religion in and of itself is useless. People who are religious, they're only deceiving themselves. If they consider themselves religious, they're deceiving themselves. As we saw with Jesus and the Pharisees, do you see it? They were, they, were, they were religious. They were the most religious people of the time. Everyone would say, oh, those are the religious guys. But they were whitewashed walls. They weren't doing the Word. They had all the little rituals down. It's not about the rituals. It's about the heart. It's about doing it. God is interested in a life of practical godliness. That's what He's interested in. God is interested in men and women who are going to serve others. Like it says there, the orphans and um, the widows, serving them. And the desire to remain unpolluted. That's what it says. It says, and, and from being polluted by the world. And our world is ever increasingly more polluted every day. It's everywhere. This world we live in is full of pollutants <laughs> that, can, that can drown us, that can pull us under. We have to be men and women who are willing to step away from that and be like, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be polluted by this world. We have to decide that in our heart, and we can do that by applying God's Word, by doing it. It keeps us out of that polluted area of our world. I'm going to leave you with a couple more questions, and these are the last ones I'm going to leave you with, and then we're going to pray. Do you read the Bible with a humble desire to have God rebuke you, teach you, and change you? Is that your attitude? Do you have that attitude? If it's not, maybe you should start your quiet time with a prayer and ask Him, God, teach me today. Teach me something today. Take that attitude into your quiet times. Do you justify your temper and anger or do you want victory over it? Do you just think it's okay? It's okay that I blew up on my wife. It's okay that I got really mad at my roommate and blew up at him. Or do you go, man... That is not right because the Bible says it's not and I need to work on it. I need to grow in that. And God can help me. I need to ask Him for help because He will give it to me if I'm giving it in faith 
And I'm not doubting that He can change me. Do you serve others in kindness who cannot repay you? It's kind of the example He gives there with orphans and widows. They were people who couldn't repay anything that you would do for them. Do you have that mindset? Do you go, I'm going to serve these people even though I'm not going to get anything back? Or is it always a one-for-one one in your mind? I help them move. They're going to be here to help me move. <laughs> I lent them some money. They're going to give me some money. Is that your mindset? That's our world's mindset. Ours should be serve. Serve these people. Give your life. Give your money. Give whatever. Just serve them. Love on them. That needs to be our mindset. So that's James 1. Great book. A lot of stuff in there. Kind of hard to cover it, but there, I hope at least there's something that you could take away. One thing that you'll chew on this week. One thing that you'll write down. Maybe it's your quiet times. Maybe you'll start writing down a verse and an application. And I know some days are hard. There's some challenging books you read. If you read through Leviticus, you might have a hard time with your time reading to find an application. But look, ask God to give you something. There'll be something there. There's never a time that there's not something that you can go in or something that you can be better at that you can see examples of in His Word. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank You. For this morning, God, we thank You for having us go through the book of James together. A very, very good book. A book that doesn't pull any punches. God, I pray that You would help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to take one thing here today, God, that we can grow in that makes our relationship with You better. That makes our relationship with all the people around us better. God, because we're serving them, because we're loving them, because we're not giving into our flesh, we're not giving into self-pity and things that we just go, oh man, poor me, what's, what's going on in my life? But we look at it from your perspective. We take a step back and we try and see it from the way you see it. That you want us to grow. That you want us to be better. That you want us to be more like you. Help us to have that attitude. God, help us to trust you with that. God, I pray that everybody here would have an awesome quiet time this week, every day this week. And that we would see you speaking to us, God, and we would apply it. We would really look and we would dig and we would try and find something that we can grow in that day. And we would apply it to our lives. God, help us to be men and women who are doers of your word, like James calls us to here. God, help us not to be the people who read it and we don't even know what it looks like five minutes later. Help us understand it. Help us write it on our hearts. Help us to grow. God, that's, that's our humble plea. God, help us to grow. Help us to be more like you. God, again, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the book of James, for giving it to us, God. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thanks for coming this morning. Again, if you're a man and you haven't got your books, they're back there on that table. So please, if you signed up, if you haven't signed up, sign up. The sheet's back there. Take a book. Read chapter 1 before the fourth Wednesday. So you got several weeks. you got two and a half weeks. Read chapter 1. Come ready to discuss it on that Wednesday. Thanks, guys.